You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. promise in there and you go, oh, that one's mine, I want it. But you know, the Bible's also filled with many commands from the Lord. There are many, many commands there from the Lord. We're not too quick to run and grab those things out sometimes and claim them for ourselves. But I believe that the Holy Spirit prompted these writers to repeat promises and commands for a reason, to remind us of their importance and the value of what's being said, to bring our attention to these matters and to help us show value to what he's talking about in his word. Everyone wants the promises and blessings of the Bible to be theirs. But what about the lessons and critiques? Both exist in God's Word, and as Pastor Dave will share today, both are important. There's plenty to enjoy in the Bible, but the text is also meant to grow you as a Christian, drawing you closer to God. And here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 11, as he begins his message, Second Time's a Charm. We are beginning a new chapter, a new phase of the new church. We're beginning in Acts 11. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went in to uncircumcised men and ate with them? And Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, and an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. Then I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and we're all drawn up again into heaven. At the very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house and said to him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you you words by which you and your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I would stand? God. When they heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, and God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. So let's begin today with a quiz. I like quizzes. How many of you have heard this statement from your parents when you were growing up? How many times do I have to tell you? Now, parents, how many times have you said to your kids, 
How many times do I have to tell you? Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. So. so I guess the next question has to be, how many times does the Lord have to say something to us before we either believe it, obey it, or both believe and obey it? Sometimes, in my instance, he has to say it a lot of times. He has to repeat it many times. But you know, the Bible is full of many wonderful promises from the Lord. And all of us want to glean those promises, and every one of you wants to claim those promises for themselves. You see a promise in there, and you go, oh, that one's mine. I want it. But you know, the Bible is also filled with many commands from the Lord. There are many, many commands there from the Lord. We're not too quick to run and grab those things out sometimes and claim them for ourselves. But I believe that the Holy Spirit prompted these writers to repeat promises and commands for a reason, to remind us of their importance and the value of what's being said, to bring our attention to these matters and to help us show value to what he's talking about in his word and to help make the word of God more important in our lives. They're repeated to bring us into remembrance and so that we can apply them to our lives during this time as we walk as a Christian. Even when Jesus taught, you remember, he would place emphasis on various words by beginning sentences with the words truly or truly, truly. Uh, In the old King James, it was verily, verily. It's been changed now in the New King James to most assuredly. And what that basically means is, in truth, in great certainty, with great confidence. It appears no less than 25 times in the Gospel of John, those words, truly, truly. I think the Lord is trying to tell us something through these scriptures. I think we need to pay attention when we see these words. I had a biology teacher in high school when I first started. I went, I, I went six weeks to Woodrow Wilson in Camden, New Jersey. And six weeks, this biology teacher was pretty cool. And every time he was going to come to a really, really important thing, we would know that and we would get our pens ready because he would be talking and go, now hold on tight, we're going around a corner. And we would go, we would listen intently, boy, we'd write that down, you know, because that always, always appeared on the test. So when we read these things, hold on tight, gang, because we're going around a corner. It's time for us to get our ears in listening mode. What is the Lord trying to say to us? So we ought to take notice of these certain scriptures when they're repeated. There must be great importance to them. Why else would they be repeated? And let, me, let me make this point. You know, this Bible that we have was not always in this format. It began as scrolls. It began as scrolls, papyrus scrolls, you know, and... Historians believe that the scroll that Dr. Luke used to make the book of Acts was 35 feet long. That's how long the scroll they believe in the book of Acts. Now, you think, well, that's a lot. Well, no, it's not. It's a very, very limited space. It's a very, very small space to write everything that you're writing in there. So if space was of essence and space was important, why did the Holy Spirit prompt Luke to write Peter's vision and whole story twice? If space was so important to him in this thing, why would he write it two times? Only thing I can glean from it, it's got to be important for us too. It's got to be something that we can look at and think, wow, this might be pretty important. So as we begin chapter 11, we're in a great transitional phase of the new church. We're going from the old covenant to the new covenant. This is a very, very important transitional phase. The new covenant, you know, started with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the transition of the early church was very slow and was very, very much opposed. It didn't happen overnight. It took a long time for the whole transition to take place. And guess what? Many are still opposing it today. There's still opposition to it. See, many of these believing Jews wanted to keep their religion. 
They wanted to keep even their traditions. And in chapter 11, we see these religious traditions at their very worst, at their very worst. You know, it's a sad that religion often resists what the Lord wants to do. Religion comes against what the Lord's trying to do. I mean, this happened in Jesus' day. We've been studying that on Wednesday nights. It happens in Peter's day. We'll see this in chapter 11. Sad to say, it's happening today. Religion wants to thwart the work of God, wants to come against the work of God. In his doctoral dissertation, which just happened to be on the book of Acts, Pastor Frank Ippolito, my pastor, said this, Religion has historically been on the wrong side of God and revival. Religion is man's attempt at righteousness. The problem lies in the fact that we cannot be found righteous by the things that we do or in the religion that we practice. Religion is an attempt at replacing God's righteousness of faith with religious works. We should never settle for the replacement, unquote. With that said, as we begin today's study, we see that news, whether it be good or bad, traveled fast even back in those days. News traveled pretty fast. As we begin in Acts 11, verses 1 to 3, it says, Now the apostles and the brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. First off, let me tell you what I don't see here that bothers me. Let me tell you what is not in these scriptures. I don't see anywhere where these guys are saying, Peter, you preached the word to those guys and they received the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. What a wonderful thing. The gospel message went forth. I don't hear, I don't see that. No, they're contending with him because you went in and ate with Gentiles. They were more focused on who he did and what he did than the end result of salvation. How dare him going in to eat with Gentiles? Remember, These cultural and religious prejudices really went deep. They were instilled in the children from a very, very early age. Does this sound familiar? Many prejudices are instilled even today as the family sits around the dinner table. A word is spoken against someone, a slant on someone's character, a problem encountered at the local grocery store or the Wawa. Children hear these stories from their parents, and they begin to get prejudiced. They begin to form opinions. This happened to me personally. One of the worst things I ever did in my life was coach Little League. You may be the coach, but every dad who you're, who's, who you're coaching their son is a better person than you for that sport. And they usually tell their kid that. And you wonder why the kids don't listen to you. And you think it would end at Little League. No, I was a high school girls basketball coach, varsity girls basketball coach, and there was a girl on my basketball team. When she dribbled the ball down, she would stop and look at her dad across the uh, court to find out what to do. I'm going, yo, the coach is on this side. See, parents, we speak, and prejudices are formed. Prejudices are formed by what we say. We're, We're teaching our children the wrong thing. We're teaching them the wrong thing. They hear it from us, and they say, well, gee, it must be true. We act like our parents act. These brethren and these apostles who were gathered were not the least bit interested in the fact that Peter had preached the gospel to the Gentiles, nor were they even interested or excited that they had received the word of God. They were upset because he ate with them. You know, we've been studying on Wednesday nights with Jesus. When Jesus healed a man of the withered hand in the Sabbath, remember that study? There was no praise to God for the healing. 
They were more concerned that it was the Sabbath day that the healing took place than the actual healing himself. So things didn't seem to change that much. But this is what religion does. It places a veil between man and God so man cannot have access. Religion places a veil between them. It places blinders on those who are steeped in their traditions and steeped in their rituals to the extent that they cannot witness what God is doing and witness the works of God. The only thing they're able to do is to accuse you of being against their law when you disagree with them. They cannot accept the fact that God can and does work in ways that we can't comprehend because they believe that God has to work in their confines of their religious beliefs. And they will tell you this is the only way God works. God doesn't work outside of these confines of religious beliefs. But the Gentiles' salvation was God's plan. It was God's plan all along. And if you look according to the prophet Isaiah, specifically in Isaiah 42, verse 6, the prophet says this, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness, and you will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. Here the prophet says that in God's economy, the Jewish nation was going to be a light to the Gentiles. They were going to show the Gentiles the way to salvation. They were going to show the Gentiles a way to live. This is what God was saying. But somewhere along the line, somewhere along the way, it got all fouled up. It got all skewed. And instead of seeing themselves as a light to the Gentiles, they saw the Gentiles as despicable. They saw them as even to the point of being grotesque. They called them dogs, and they were to be avoided at all costs. Again, we see the results of religious traditions. We see the results of a non-acceptance policy. What was God supposed to be? What was supposed to be God's plan became thwarted by the religion and the traditions of men. There's many prejudices that exist today. And these prejudices are keeping people from hearing the word of God. These prejudices are keeping people from salvation. They're keeping people from being born again. They're keeping people from walking in God's grace, from walking in true oneness with the Father. I see these prejudices today, and they exist, and they are loudly, blatantly displayed. I believe that this is why the Holy Spirit wanted Luke to repeat it several times, because it's of major importance to the church. It was then, and it is today, because these prejudices exist. They exist in our hearts and we were brought that, that way. They were instilled in us from birth. They were instilled in us in the way we live our lives. And they're very, very difficult to get rid of. Because our prejudices, because of them, we trample on the grace of God. We hoard the grace of God for ourselves. And we decide who's worthy and who is not to receive salvation. Because of a prejudice thing that might have happened. We place our religious beliefs above the word of God. And we treat others as despicable. We treat them as being grotesque and even in our own little fellowships. See, these Jewish believers did not understand the relationship between the law and grace yet. They didn't understand the new relationship between the Gentiles and the Jews. They didn't understand that. I mean, some of these new converts, according to Acts 6, verse 7, were priests. They were actually priests who, who worked in the synagogues, and they were zealots for the law, and they brought that with them into Christianity. But even the ordinary Jew would have a hard time understanding this concept of the Gentiles. He would have this concept of the Gentiles coming in. It would be hard for them. So they were ignorant. They didn't know. Ignorant simply means without knowledge. It's not a bad word. Not, they were not knowing. And so they have an excuse, but we have no excuse. We are excuses because we have God's word. 
And in God's Word, we have books like Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, and Hebrews that explain all this to us. So we're without excuse. We have no excuse because we have God's Word. This is not only a religious matter, but it's a cultural matter. It's a cultural habits are hard to break. But I know they can be broken by the love of Jesus Christ. I know it because I've seen it with my own eyes. My beloved father-in-law, Beatrice's dad. What a wonderful man he was. Italian man, true and true. And if there was ever a fault in the man, there was one small fault. He didn't like people of color. And he was blatant about his dislike for people of color. And when B and I came back to the Lord, we prayed for him and prayed for him and prayed for him. And as the Lord would have it, he got very, very sick with cancer. And he was in the hospital for a very, very long time before he died. But before he died, he was in that hospital. And every time we would go visit him, he would talk about this nurse and how he loved this nurse and how he and this nurse, he called this nurse his girlfriend, and how he and this nurse would talk about Jesus and how he had accepted Jesus Christ in his life. And he went on and on and on and on to talk about this nurse. And then one day we met this nurse. The Lord has a great sense of humor because she was an African-American, a beautiful Christian lady that led him to the Lord. He was born again. But see, I know God can take away those prejudices. God can take it because I've seen it with my own eyes. But Peter is called on the carpet, and Peter has to defend God's grace. Can you imagine that? Peter has to defend God's grace to these people. Beginning in verse 4 through 15, we find Peter's defense. He has to make a defense because in the word contend, in the original Greek means charging with a crime. So when they contended with Peter, they were charging him with a crime, and his crime was associating with the Gentiles. That was his crime. Peter must now defend his actions before, he, before the brethren and even his fellow apostles. You know, this is no small matter, nor was it a small matter in the Lord's eyes. That's why it's repeated several times. But Peter's defense is very powerful, and it comes in three areas that we're going to look at. The first area was the vision. He repeats the vision that God gave him in verses 5 through 6. Let's look at those. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And I hear a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now it was done three times, and then it was all drawn up into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Interesting enough that these men that Peter's talking to, they trusted Peter. They had been with Peter for three and a half years. They knew Peter. And Peter was giving them his personal account of what had happened. They knew that if anyone had any kind of orthodox views, it would be Peter. So they were wondering what happened here, because remember, he even showed his orthodox views when the Lord said, rise and eat. He said, not so, Lord. I've never touched anything unclean or ate anything common. These men knew that it was highly, highly unlikely that Peter would take it upon himself to go to the Gentiles. It was highly unlikely that he would do that. They they knew that. So Peter recounts these events. Again, I would like you to draw you to the attention that even the Lord had a place on Peter's heart. The Lord didn't show Peter this vision one time. He didn't tell him to rise and eat one time. He had to tell him three times. He had to tell Peter three times that this was happened. Do you think he got Peter's attention? Well, we know he did. 
We know that Peter tried to put pieces together, thinking it was all about dietary laws. And then piece by piece, as Peter followed the Lord and followed the Holy Spirit, the whole vision came together. The whole vision came, and he saw it. I'm really glad Peter did. But I believe this Holy Spirit now is speaking loud and clear to the church today. Don't forget this passage, he says. Don't ever call anything that the Father has cleansed common or unclean. I believe that's the message. Isaiah the prophet again writes in chapter 61, verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. What a glorious day. What a glorious day when we can say I am righteous because of Christ Jesus. I am righteous because of the faith I put in him and the work he did on Calvary. What a glorious day. I can stand up and say I am his. He has brought me with a price. What a glorious day. I'm aware of my uncleanness. I'm aware of my commonness. But God has cleansed me from all eternity. He has cleansed me from, for all eternity. He has cleansed me by the blood that we celebrated communion. But we beat ourselves up. We beat ourselves up. Salvation is a wonderful thing. What the Lord has done for us is so incredible. But it's hard for us to receive that grace so graciously because there's always something in us that says, I don't deserve that kind of unconditional, unmerited love. I have to work for it. There's always something that says to me, if I only did a little bit more, if I only did this, if I only did that, the if onlys. God's saying no. Every time we want to walk in freedom with the Lord, we should expect Satan to come alongside of us and say, you know, you're a creep. You know, you're just a four-footed beast. You know that. You don't deserve God's grace. You don't deserve to be in his presence, let alone stay there. But your answer, your answer when that happens must always be what God has cleansed. Don't call common, and he has cleansed me. That's what God's telling you. We are cleansed. We are cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So Peter, Peter's defense includes his vision. And then his defense also includes the witness of the Holy Spirit in verses 12 to 15. And this is crucial to Peter's defense. He says, Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered this man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you by which you and your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon him, as upon us in the beginning. Peter tells these men, it was the Holy Spirit that told me to go. The Holy Spirit told me not to doubt. Don't doubt anything. And when I began preaching to Cornelius, guess what? The Holy Spirit fell on the guys. The Holy Spirit fell on them. And he reminds them, remember, the same thing happened to us at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit fell on us. Now, because of these words, there are many, many scholars, many scholars who, are, who believe that just like the day of Pentecost, that there was the gushing wind and all this kind of stuff, but it doesn't say that, so we can't say it. It doesn't say that in Scripture, so we really can't say that. But a lot of people believe that this was a great experience like that, like the day of Pentecost. But Peter describes it. He tells them. He says, everything was there. I was just following the Holy Spirit. This is a day of liberation. This is a day of freedom. It's a day of freedom for the entire world. You are The stories you've been hearing about Peter, Paul, Stephen, and the many other followers of Jesus are meant to inspire you and encourage you. These brave people lived long ago and had the privilege of seeing the gospel message spread from its point of origin, Jesus himself. 
Their testimony and diligence in spreading the good news of hope and new life changed hearts and saved countless people, and continues on even today through the writings and Acts and the rest of the New Testament. However, the lives you were studying weren't without trial. Each disciple of Jesus faced persecution in some form, yet it never swayed them to abandon their faith. What difficulties are you facing for Jesus now? Don't lose heart. Remember that you're sharing the truth and that the truth can set people free. You have the Savior of the world on your side, and He will stand with you through every trial and triumph. We're so glad you joined us for today's edition of Assure Hope as we continue to study the book of Acts with Pastor Dave Shank. If you'd like to listen to more teachings, we invite you to visit our website, assurehoperadio.com. Feel free to download and share Pastor Dave's teachings or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Are you in the Cape May area? If so, we want to meet you. Come join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. at Calvary Chapel, Cape May to learn more from the Word, sing praises to your Lord, and fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Find out more at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for joining us today on Assure Hope. Rescued us.